What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. This is Book Review Friday. Today, my co-host is Daniel Taylor, also a co-worker here at Ideation Collective. You know, whatever your business is, there's somebody out there who's willing to pay a lot of money for it. You may have some old 70-year-old guy who drives an Oldsmobile that's like 25 years old, and he doesn't spend a dime on anything except the NFL, and he'll pay over a million dollars a year to have a Skybox, right? This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today we're going to be picking from the 400 plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co, to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or, or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Daniel, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Um, I'm excited. We're delving into the audiobook library again of Jess's 600 books, 400 of which are relevant to what we're talking about. Um, Hold on. What are the other 200? They're the the Jason Bourne, the James Bond, Jess's secret uh, spy life. Um, so I'm just a little offended that those are not relevant. <laughs> they're re- I'm sure we can incorporate. I'm sure you can incorporate them, but I'm not as well read in that. Um, but today we're gonna single out eighty twenty marketing sales and marketing by Perry Marshall. Um, Jess, why is this book so critical in your library, and and why is this something you made me read right off the bat? Why why is this something an entrepreneur would want to read? Well, I made you read it right off the bat because I'm mean. <laughs> no. um, I think about uh, really like how much this book is kind of like separating the wheat from the chaff on what we should actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, the 80, 20 principle, Vilfero Pareto from the eight, from the Italy back in the, um, 1500s. I want to say mm-hmm. he had done those studies showing that 80% of the land holdings was helped by 20% of the population and yeah. distribution of wealth and this kind of stuff. And since then, lots of people have come up with ideas and rules and showing where it shows up in all these other places. Yeah. What I feel like this book does better um, is we get such this entrepreneurial anxiety, I feel like, as CEOs or managers or anybody of, oh, look at all this big list of things I've got to get done. You know, I go home sometimes. I've gone home from work with 60 to-dos items that I didn't get done that day uh, when realistically I couldn't have got 60 done in any day, right? Um, Good friend, mentor of mine, uh, Van Zeck, he's a bureau chief at the Bureau of Public Debt, um, you know, in charge of $16 trillion for the U.S. government. And he calls it, he calls it that tyranny of the to-dos list. Mm-hmm. And he, he talked to me about how it kept him from what he thought he should really be doing, which was actually working with the people who ran the department. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like this book is such a good reminder for me on um, looking at what I'm about to spend my day doing. And, you know, he talks about this idea of the difference between $10 an hour work, which is usually a lot of the stuff we do, mm-hmm. the $100 an hour work or the $10,000 an hour work. And um, it sounds dramatic or whatever, but I think about actually just week before last when I went to that lunch and, uh, you know, our innovation contest we've got coming up and the guy who I was at lunch with um, offered, you know, $10,000 custom wardrobe. He's a, you know, they make handmade suits and mm-hmm. they offered a $10,000 custom wardrobe as the contest prize with the contest we're coming out with. And I bought like $20 worth of tacos yeah. or $15 worth of tacos. Right. Yeah. That was a $10,000 hour. And he goes through and says like, he really challenges us on like how many of our hours are we using up with $10 an hour work that could be, could be something another team member could be done or an intern or, or a new staff member could be hired to do it. Um, because even if you can get one more, of those $10,000 hours than you would have in that same time period. Like what, what a drastic multiplier that is. Right. Um, so for me, I feel like it's like a gut check all the time of I've got the ringing phone. I've got the fire alarm of these things that are so urgent. You know, you think about the Stephen Covey seven habits, right. And he's mm-hmm. talking about separating the difference between urgent and important. And I find myself so drawn to doing urgent things. Right. And I feel like this is like my self-discipline help of, Jess, are you doing this because it's urgent? Are you doing this because there's a person at the other side that wants this and you want to like please them? Or are you doing this because you actually think it's the right thing to do when you're being responsible for the whole organization? Right. Um, that That's maybe like the number one takeaway for me personally, even though there's so many other things about un- understanding what the 20% of the 20% of the 20%, um, how that really turns into 1% of your clients or potentially 50% of your revenue. Right. And just reorganizing how we try to build an organization with this law in mind. Right. And that, and, the, and the challenge of prioritizing is bigger than ever. We've got um, all these electronics going off constantly, and, and we've got ridiculous Google calendars that are giving you alerts all the time, right? Um, what do you do then? You know, you say you have to constantly, you know, check, like, what can I be doing and what, what can I farm out and what can I just leave behind? How do you do that? How do you make that decision? And how have you done that at IHN Collective? Um, how have you farmed out $10 an hour work or at least at this point? And then how have you spent more time with $10,000 an hour work? Yeah. Um, you know, we've got that simple system that we do with, you know, everybody has a, the Google doc with their ABCs list for the day that mm-hmm. is shared with their manager. You know, you've got that, the one thing, uh, which is a great book or, uh, you know, uh, essentialism, Greg McEwen's very sim- similar vein of like, what's, what's important now, right. you know, uh, it's a real famous, um, thing. There's a, the sports team that has won more games than any other sports team in history is, a a high school f- rugby team. It's got a lot of Polynesian kids on the team in <laughs> yeah. general, but, yeah. uh, that head coach just talks about, you know, winning all these games for 25 years or whatever. And that the question that was constantly drilled into everybody is what's important now. Right. What's in, right. So we've got that, we've got that on top. And then we've got A's are like the three things that I'm not going to go home if I don't get these done. Right. B's are, it'd be nice to get these done if I get the A's done. C's are like by some miracle, I'm done my A's and B's. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. But I'm probably thinking about it for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think about how with you following up on the different team members, getting that recap at the end of the day of how they do on their ABCs. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the ways we're trying to roll it out. 
But um, for me, when I can be honest about, does it actually need to be me that does that? And I can like, you know, ignore my, my eight year degree in micromanagement <laughs> when I can get over myself and think, Oh, I guess maybe I'm not the only one that can do this. Yeah. And whether it's one of the team members or one of the interns from the university that, that, uh, it can be delegated to, which, you know, needs to have follow up. Right. Um, that, that's really where I think that comes down to is I look at my ABCs and then I end up with 10 things on the A list. Yeah. And I think, is that really realistic? Yeah. Um, and it typically isn't. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me of, I had just started reading the E-Myth Revisited and it kind of reminds me of this entrepreneurial, um, well, not disaster, but the situation a lot of entrepreneurs put themselves in where they try and do everything and they want to do everything. And, um, but you know, they start talking about how you can farm a lot of that work out to the technicians who do stuff. Or if you yourself are the technician, you know, go find the manager, go find the entrepreneur, go find the people who should be doing the $10,000 an hour work and, and organize, organize the people accordingly to be doing the $10 and the hundred hour work. Um, and, and that's life changing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, everybody talks about hard work. How are you going to make it hard work? And I feel like it's almost misleading advice because a, it's so cliche. People don't pay attention, Yeah. but B, you know, I worked construction jobs as a teenager, um, trying to make enough money to snowboard all year without having a job, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I did sales jobs, and I I worked on the oil and gas pipeline right after high school. Um, those guys worked hard. Yeah. I mean, we were up at five a.m. Uh, on our way to the job site. Uh, we didn't finish till seven or eight at night. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of these forty year old dudes who have been working that hard for a long time and haven't yeah. really gotten anywhere in life. Yeah. They work way harder than a lot of my investment banker buddies. Yep. Okay. They're just working at different things. Yep. And so I feel like that's that advice of hard work is it's it's only half of good advice. Yeah. And by itself it's not necessarily good advice. But hard work at the right thing, I feel like is good advice. So to me, this becomes a, a filter, a sieve, to be able to run through my sixty to dos and go, okay, which four are actually vital? Right to us making the next step forward. Right. And, and, you know, work my guts out at that. And if I don't get 16 of those emails returned that weren't really that important of emails, yeah, like there's going to be, you know, it's like triage medicine. You know, we've got, uh, we've got uh, Jaron Tree coming on, right? Mm-hmm. He's a special forces medic. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about, you know, being in Kirkuk or Northern Iraq and guys are getting blown up and, going through, this guy's going to live no matter what I do. This guy's going to die no matter what I do. This is where my time should be spent. Right. And if we really are responsible to the teams that are depending on us to pay their salaries and the customers that are expecting us to deliver what we said we'd deliver when we said we'd deliver it, yeah. maybe I can't return every email I got spammed on. Right. You right. know, or I got CC'd on stuff I didn't need to get CC'd on. Or, yeah. Um, so... I don't know if that answers the question exactly. No, but absolutely. It's, it's the filter, I think. It's the pra- yeah. I was looking for some practical. I appreciate it. Um, well, let's shift gears here. So this eighty twenty principle, um, Perry Marshall's you know trying to help us see that. Um, I think one of the, one of the main general uses of the eighty twenty principle is like eighty percent of your revenue is coming from twenty percent of your customers, and he gives this awesome example of the NFL where you've got these stadiums of who knows fifty to eighty thousand people. Um, and ticket sales are big, right? And everybody's paying some, you know, high ticket price. He's like, but 
they're not they're not so concerned about filling those ticket seats as they are about filling those skyboxes, right? There's the that select few group of people who are paying, you know, over a million dollars a year to have their skybox with all their perks, right? And he even goes further to say, you know, whatever your business is, there's somebody out there who's willing to pay a lot of money for it. You may have some old 70-year-old guy who drives an Oldsmobile that's like 25 years old, and he doesn't spend a dime on anything except the NFL, and he'll pay over a million dollars a year to have a skybox, right? Um, in your experience, um, you know, with Ideation Collective or before with your investment fund or, or, or these other things you've been involved in, um, how have you located the 20 the or the 20 of the 20 of the 20? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I found that I can't pick them. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody can, you know, and uh, if we haven't mentioned already, we'll have a link you know, to, to getting this book on audible.com or Amazon or whatever on, on the show notes for this, for this episode on our website, iCollective.co. But, um, he, he talks about the 80, 20 power curve. I think it's just 80, 20 curve.com mm-hmm. is his site there for that part. And he shows like, he's got this great formula of if you can track how much traffic you have, like how big your audience is, and you can tell people what you know, the, the smallest dollar prices or what the average dollar price is, you can use the 80, 20 curve to predict the rest of it. And he goes through like, so I guess kind of an answer to your question, you know, 50,000 seats at 1995 a seat, um, one skybox is worth that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you kind of need those other thousands of clients to find the client who's willing to spend that much. Right. And he talks about why Starbucks, you know, that you can get your $3 coffee or whatever, but you can also buy the $250 latte machine, you know, however expense, how expensive those things are that are so much more, right? Because there is some small portion of the population that is willing to spend a lot more. And he goes through, if you can have a much larger audience, much more traffic, that the 1% of that traffic is actually a bigger number. Right. Right. So if you only have 10 clients, you know, your top 1% client, if you have 100 clients, your top 1% client may not be a million-dollar client. Right, right. Right. But if you can have 50,000 clients, if you can have 10,000 clients across that curve, the, the, you know, the, the 20% of the 20% of the 20%, you know, 1% of the total can be this, this such a high-dollar price thing, right? Right. Um, and I think that's why so many of us can walk into Starbucks and look at that $250 latte machine and think that's ridiculous. But you, there's somebody out there, and they don't need all of us to think, oh, I want that. There's enough people out there that it's worth it to them to, to build that machine and to have it in all their locations, right? See, guys like me and you who are not coffee drinkers, that needs to be a $250 hot chocolate machine, yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's like those that hot chocolate you get in Paris, it's like liquid gold, <laughs> yeah. you know, where it's like actually chocolate. They I just would melted. pay 250 for that, yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, it's such a ripoff here, this powdered crap that we call oh, my gosh. hot chocolate. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You yeah. go over there, it's like they just pour the warm cream into actual <laughs> chocolate yeah. and stir it up. Yeah. Gold. Um, so they do go into a little bit of uh, – they're, they're, his thoughts on finding that 20%, he, he shares a really funny story um, and that gives us the term racking the shotgun, right? That's how you find the 20 of the percent. It's the story of, um, you know, I want to say there was a guy in Vegas probably or somewhere gambling, and, um, and another man kind of takes him under his wing to be his mentor, and they, he takes him into like, I don't know if it was a strip club or what, but somewhere down in Vegas, and he – he pulls a, a shotgun out of his coat under the table and he, ra- and, he, and he racks it and creates that sound we all know of a shotgun um, being cocked. And a bunch of people's heads turned and a lot of people's heads didn't. 
Um, and he argues that, you know, 20% of the heads turned and 80% of the heads didn't. And he's like, you don't gamble with the 20% whose heads turn. Like they know what's going on. They're aware and they're going to, they're going to smoke you. The 80%, those are your people, right? Um, so how do you rack the shotgun? Uh, you know, we're in a, a content marketing, we have a content marketing model at ideation collective. Um, and, and we're trying to build an audience through podcasting and other means. Like how do you rack the shotgun? You know, I think our methodology is by intentionally putting out the kind of content that that type of customer is likely to want. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of self-selection, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously we're not spamming everyone or we're not, we're not calling people directly to ask them, Oh, are you the one who wants to, to do this or that? Right. But you look at our clients that do have us in to come teach in person or some of the things that we charge for, where we're trying to give away these podcasts and these classes for free online. Right. Um, it's signaling to them in our messaging, letting them know that those that those services are available and, and having that embedded in the kind of message that people like this would be listening to already. You know, um, you look at something like LibTech Snowboards, right? Me and a bunch of my buddies, we're all like huge fans of Jamie Lynn when we were, he, he was like, you know, him and Terje were the two best snowboarders when we were kids in the mm -hmm. 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And Terje, Terje wrote for Burton and Jamie Lynn wrote for... Uh, LibTech. And so now tons of my friends in their 30s still have LibTech. Yeah. Right? right. But they've got this board called the Cygnus One that's like, I don't know, I think it's like $1,300 for the snowboard. Right. Yeah. And like my friend Brian has one. And uh, he's a well to do guy with uh, very experience in business and entrepreneurship. And, and that's something that's not a budget breaker for him. Right. Where most of the high school kids are like scraping together to get the $420 board instead of the $410 board. Right. 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 Um, and, uh, so naturally like letting people know that that product is available in terms of all the other $500 boards and all, you know, things over twice as expensive. Right. Um, to me, it's start with a population that's probably susceptible in the first place. Yeah. And I think he makes the point in the book that you can't, you can't charge 10 times as much if there isn't at least 10 times as much perceived value. Right. Right. You can't just charge 20 bucks for, you can't charge two bucks for this coffee and 20 bucks for this coffee. And it's the same coffee. Yeah. People aren't going to buy that. Yeah. But if you can increase the perceived value that there is somebody in that population who there's a high probability is willing to pay a lot more for something that's a lot better. Right. And, and the podcasts are great and free information is great. But when you are dealing with, you know, I'm thinking about, a client this month is talking to me about a lawsuit or a client talking to me last month about, you know, one of the hottest brands in the world. If I said it, everyone would know this client, you know, looked like they were going to land them and something had just gone sideways in the contract. And we're having this conversation about land landing client that could be a multi-million dollar revenue stream for them that it's right on the fence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, p paying, you know, a substantial amount to get the one-on-one -on -one time to work through that they saw as valuable. Right. Right. Um, and he does talk a lot about split testing, um, you know, to find the best, the best service or the best product and to really get to know your audience, you know, put out two examples and, and come back the next day or the next week and say, all right, this one was better. So let's put it up against another one and just keep doing that until you've really mastered your audience and you're really, not only are you reaching the masses and you're able to sell the 60,000 tickets at the, at the NFL stadium, right? But you're also able to locate that 1%. Well, you think split testing was so expensive for so many years, right? right? And if you're 
if you're doing TV advertising or radio advertising, you don't know if it worked or not right. on a trackable basis. I mean, it's mostly just the direct mail guys that had any kind of split testing experience. Mm -hmm. Well, now, with these amazing testing engines like Google AdWords, I mean, it'll suck every dollar out of your bank account <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. Okay? Yeah. But with some training, I mean, it's such an amazing tool for fine-tuning what will work, right? You look at somebody like Upworthy who has you know, come out of nowhere and become this huge, you know, huge name in the social world. And uh, they split test like crazy. They come out with a new headline. I mean, they split test, by the time the rest of us got whatever Upworthy email came out, okay? Yeah. It has been split tested so many times for open rate. And they just start with small population split tests. And it's like March Madness for, for a headline. Yeah. Okay. Right. And it's gone through so many, this one, this one, this, you know, this one, one, this one, one, this one, one, this one, one. By the time it's gotten up to one that goes to the huge list, they know for a fact this this combination of words is a real trigger for the general Western population. Right. And Upworthy has got as, as huge as it got. Right. He talks about like Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and how <laughs> the original name for the book was like something like drug dealing for fun and money. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like tongue-in-cheek answer. Yeah. The publisher lost their mind about it and tim was arguing about it but apparently uh they did some testing on google adwords to test which message is going to work right and come up with the four-hour work week and now it's this huge bestseller right? right awesome yeah it's awesome and it is very accessible now um well let's shift gears again and think about you know he starts to talk about at the end of the book there um that in line with the principle there's this uh, 20% of the world that has been advantaged in some way. Um, and, and then there's 80% of the world that has been disadvantaged and find themselves in less than favorable circumstances. And, and he argues, you know, it's the 20% responsibility to, uh, reach out to that 80% and not, not in a, in an effort to alleviate everything and, and create a utopia. He doesn't, he doesn't say that's possible, but he, he still says there's this responsibility. So, you know, you, with our charity and our work there at child rescue, um, what, what is it that, um, has motivated you to reach out to this, you know, um, disparage or disfavored population and, and to try and make a difference? Um, what, why, why, why the efforts there at child rescue? You know, I think, um, for me, it's, it's like the human factor, Right. I found out uh, I had, had friends that had been uh, abused as a teenager, and I was just, I remember being a teenager thinking, like, I can't believe that happened to somebody I knew. And, like, within a week later, I found out, or a month later, I found out it happened to somebody else that I knew really closely, and I was really angry. Mm -hmm. And so in my 20s, when I found out that people were renting out, you know, adults were renting out kids to other adults to be abused for money as yeah. a business, yeah. I said, that's got to be one of the worst things on earth. And, yeah. um, you know, it's funny how uh it's almost like an exposure thing like a content thing that really put me over the top um i was watching this documentary um i want to say it was the bbc where they had undercover cameras in odessa um in the ukraine, ukraine yeah. and they actually videoed a woman selling kids what it was is um a woman who had been trafficked to turkey had escaped and come back and took the news crew 
and they watched the very same woman taking these teenage girls, and she said, some of them will go be maids, and some of them will go be nannies, and the most beautiful ones think they're going to be maids and nannies, and they're going to end up where I ended up. And then the cameraman went and had an undercover conversation with like a button camera or something, talking to this woman who does not look like a Saturday morning cartoon villain. Yeah. Talking to her and her like 30-year-old son about buying some women yeah. and buying some teenage girls. Yeah. And they're like joking about it and they're talking so callously about it. And I was just so ticked off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was one of the things that really put me over the top of like, man, these kids can't wait for me to reach my financial goals. We just got to start on what we can now. Right. Um, and so for us, like you think about 80, 20 at child rescue, um, we could spend a lot of time doing another Facebook post or doing another thing like this that, is acceptable that everybody says you should do. But as we measure it, it doesn't have nearly the impact of having people hear the story directly from a survivor or right. directly from a police officer that's told a survivor or um, being able to actually see the situation like the filmers who just went down to Peru, you know, Stephen and Carter. Yeah. Um, so for us, like sorting through like the difference between activity and progress and is our time really being spent on things that will get us that that high level of progress or is it just activity of the shoulds and the to-do lists? Right. Right. Well, thank you. Um, before we go here, let's get our, uh, final sales pitch as to why 80, 20 marketing is crucial to an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think my sales pitch of why somebody should buy it, um, comes because of the maximum value to me of being able to have this mathematical formula to evaluate where there's money that could be made in our organizations, you know, which is, you know, even if you're non-profit, I mean, money is the oxygen, you know, profits are the oxygen that right. keeps somebody alive, right. right? Keep an organization alive. So being able to identify profits that we're probably not pulling in because we haven't applied this formula and, and looked for the client that'll pay more uh, for higher value. Um, that That's definitely one for me personally, I'm going to go back to the prioritization thing. Uh, when I get too much anxiety about my to-dos list or too many things that I think I should be doing. And there's only one of me. Um, I'll actually like turn the audiobook back on for 15 minutes and it'll like remind me of a bunch of the principles right. and uh, driving to work or something. Um, and that just becomes kind of like the centering exercise where I can start to remember the other things the book talks about and I can get realistic about my ABCs list of, yeah, those 14 things are not going to get done on my A list. I need to get whittled down to three or right. five. And, uh, I think so many of us, um, we have anxiety about deadlines and to-dos lists, and this can be an anxiety uh, pressure reliever. Right. What about you? You know, I life is short. I'm young, <laughs> but I sw when I'm at work, I'm thinking like, gosh, there's not an there are not enough hours in the day. And at home, I'm thinking, you know, this book has kind of helped me map out. What do I want to be spending my time when I get home and I'm done with work? I've put it away. Like, what do I want to be spending time on? Do I want to be spending time um, doing all these little things that, you know, may make us feel better, may make, you know, please somebody here or, or somebody over there, but, um, or do I want to be spending time with my family and spending time, you know, developing other skills and, and building other things, right? Uh, it's really helped me map out and prioritize at work and at home. Yeah, and I love that. So thanks again for today. Thanks for sharing all that. And uh, we'll check in next week. That was another installment of Book Review Fridays. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll also check out Child Rescue uh, from the menu on our website, iCollective.co. 
and this episode or any other episode really stood out to you or, or you have a story to tell us, please email me um, at the email stories at iCollective.co. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.